A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. <laughs> Welcome back to the Pohitter Podcast. This is the part two segment of the bullpen pod with Mike Carter and Lucas Beery. In this second half of the bullpen session, we will be reviewing teams from the LA Dodgers on to the Washington Nationals. If you happen to miss part one, this is the episode before this episode, episode 34. You can check that out. Make sure to follow Mike Carter and Lucas Beery on Twitter. And if you haven't done so yet and you feel so inclined, you can leave the pod a rating and review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform allows you to do so. And if you send me a snapshot of your rating and review, send it over to at DeadPullHitter on Twitter. And I will send you some pull hitter swag. That being said, let's dive right into the second part of the bullpen pod. Let's go now. We'll start with the Miami Marlins on this second half of the Major League bullpen breakdown here with Mike Carter and Lucas Bury. We're going to talk about the Miami Marlins next. Um, another very interesting situation. The recently signed um, <clears throat> Anthony, Anthony Bass joins um, a group that's led also by Yimmy Garcia, Last year, we talked about Brandon Kinsler, how he was pretty serviceable for this bullpen. Um, what do you guys think happens here? And is um, do you think, I think we mentioned maybe Kinsler's still coming back here, but <clears throat> is Bass the guy for you right now, or is Garcia? I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's still Garcia. Nice. Uh, All right. I, I, I just think he had, a, he had a really nice year last year. It really kind of flew under the radar, for, even for – Hardcore fantasy players, you know, he had a pretty nice season. And uh, I think, you know, he's, he's 30. He's not going to be too, you know, faced by having the role. Um, Bass is a nice guy to have around, but his, his skills don't scream closer at you. Although he did do a nice job for, for not Tampa, Toronto, when he was up there uh, last year. So who knows? The way that it looks to me though, I wonder if they're not done bringing people in, you know, I mean, I, I would say it's Garcia right now with Bass second. Um, they also have uh, Hoyt there, who a lot of people are thinking might be a sleeper pick for some saves and holds as well. Interesting. Yeah, I'm with Mike there. I uh, I like Bass a little bit, but I just feel like with Garcia, uh, looking at his baseball savant stuff, it's absolutely just blood red. And the cost – after pick 330 typically and, and and in some you can probably get him in the 360 370 range so i think that that's a guy that 
you know, if you just want to pad your, your save opportunities a little bit more, he's a, he's a solid player to add. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, I thought, I thought all the way Kinslow was coming back here um, before the bass signing. I was um, kind of drafted him again, pretty late with the anticipation of him coming back, you know, with the comfortability with, I mean, them all and, you know, trying to play on the success from last year. And um, so, but best, you know, didn't, didn't show many warts in his game last year. Um, seemed to do the job pretty well when he was thrown in there. I don't think he's the ideal profile for a closer, but um, this should be interesting. I don't know what to make of Yimmy um, fully. So this is truly, I think, something that's up in the air. But I do yeah. think, though, the guy who doesn't end up being the save target is going to be actually one of my go-to souls target um, strictly because I think the Marlins are going to be pretty competitive. And um, no, I think that both of these guys play well in that type of role. Yeah. And they're going to be cheap because nobody's excited about the Marlins. So exactly. They will be cheap. Right. Absolutely. Um, all right, so next we have the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, I think to me this is, you know, you got the best in the game um, and then one of the best relievers, you know, uh, middle relievers per se in the game, <clears throat> and Devin Williams. Also a bunch of, you know, quote-unquote um, bridge options, uh, long reliever types on this team with Freddie Peralta and um, another one of my um, big favorites of the year right now is Brent Suter, which I've, mm-hmm. I've rostered in several draft and hold leagues because um, just read that, you know, they're going to add a hundred innings to the pitchers, even though I'm not, you know, you can't just go fully by team speak. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the way, you know, you look at the way they use their, their pitching and the way they utilize the Peralta and Suda in that fashion. And the guy doesn't throw very hard, but he's fantastic. Um, you know, actual pitcher like a Kyle Hendricks type who outperformed his, his, you know, his metrics, his expected metrics. So <clears throat> high BAPIP and um, some pretty unlucky stuff. You know, his, his ex-FIP was 2.9 as a, compared to his ERA being at 4.34. His walk rate was 1.2%. I mean, you don't expect that to happen um, that low again, but I mm-hmm. I just love the profile and I love the I think his ability to maybe get into that ninety inning pitch level that you know can be pretty suitable for you. But close wise, you know, it tater all the way. He's the top closer to me, and you know they got some uh, solid work in Devin Williams. Do you guys see anything here besides the obvious? <clears throat> I question, I know that this might sound crazy, but I question how they're going to use these guys and and what the roles are going to shake out being. Because you guys might remember a couple of years ago, and I know it's two years ago now, but Council said before the 19th season that he envisioned using um, Hayter as a stopper, right? Like a, a fireman to come in and put out the fire in the sixth or seventh inning, which would open up save opportunities for other people like Devin Williams, who was unhittable, right? So... I it, I love both of them, and I've been taking both of them in a lot of different places. Um, and I, I've been taking some criticism for taking Williams too early. 
But I, I wonder if that role is going to shake out a little bit differently. And, and my, my wonder, too, is, you know, what's Milwaukee putting out there this year? Like, I mean, how good are they going to be? If they suck, they could trade Hader and get a haul, right, uh, to somebody. And Williams has, has the, the save opportunities. And, you know, Freddie Peralta is one of those guys that I've never been able to give up on as many times as I've tried. You know, he pulls me back in all the time. It's like mm-hmm. Carl Crawford was my kryptonite back in the day. I, I get Freddie Peralta a, a lot. And, I, and I, I just keep waiting for him to find a role where he really excels. And, and, and I think that that could be coming too, you know. So I love both of those guys. But I, it's just scary to know how it's going to shake out. Hater is absolutely the top reliever in the game. But he still has value even if he doesn't get a ton of saves, obviously. Like Lucas was talking about other guys before. But it's a little frightening, you know. What? How do these roles shake out? Right. Lucas, what do you think? One thing that I think uh, that I think was very, very interesting with Hater. Um, I mean, this this was the, obviously the, the the craziest year we've ever. Seen. And you have guys like Jack Flaherty in hotel rooms thrown up against mattresses, and you're the Brewers. You've got. Yelich, Woodruff, Hira, and, and Hayter is, is obviously probably your third or fourth most important piece. They did not overextend him. This guy only went over one innings pitched once the whole year, and he was traditionally using that closer role because obviously he kind of ramped up the shutdown hit, and then he ramped down. I think they wanted to just you know kind of take it easy with him, give him the one inning role. But I would be by no means shocked if he uh, was taken out of that closer role. And, and for that, I'm not going to draft him in the top 60 where he's going a lot of the times. Very, very reasonable, 100%. I haven't thought about taking him where he goes. I still think he's firmly the number one, but I, I'm not I'm not, I'm not, not going there. Um, in, in most drafts, um, I think I'd like to get him in a couple spots, but my probability rate of, of, of getting him there is is not, not as high, I guess, is it would be for other people. Yeah, I mean it's a high capital, right? I mean, are you gonna are you gonna spend a top fifty draft pick on a relief pitcher that might not get saves? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. <clears throat> right, and you know the thing is, like we we anticipated that this year, so it's 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 it, it's crazy because sometimes we want you know we we talk about what the managers are doing and team context and. Last year we doubted it, and 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 he was he was the guy. So who knows? It's it, it it could be totally biting us in the ass if we think he might not be the guy, and he's more the guy than he ever was. Who knows? You know, it's uh, it's just too big of an investment, is all. I, I oh yeah, no, exactly, right, hundred percent, right, totally makes sense. Um, okay, so let's move along to the Minnesota Twins. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Taylor Rogers, Tyler Duffy, um, Cody Stashak, he's a pretty interesting name out there. Um, came in with a free agent signing of Hansel Robles, so mm-hmm. they lost a ton of good talent, too. You know, they lost a lot of bullpen arms. So, you think Rogers is still the guy here, or are they going to play some games with us? I feel as if this team is is ready to play some games. Uh, fortunately, though, if you do invest in Taylor Rogers, they're going to win a lot of games and they're going to have a lot of games to be saved. So even though I do think that they are going to kind of bust it up between multiple guys based on the matchups and the, the usage who's gone the night before and such, 
uh, because they pay very close attention to, you know, how many days of rest they had. I heard Trevor May in an interview saying, you know, he was the one of the few guys that they trusted on a back-to-back since the other guys worsened greatly after using up a lot of their stamina the night before. Interesting. So I think, yeah, I think Tyler mm-hmm. Duffy is uh, very intriguing. You can get him pretty late, you know, 350 to 400 range, and, and I would be very happy to grab him. I have Rogers ranked probably higher than most. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's, I think for me, it comes down to, um, you know, he had last year was a tough year for a lot of people, as you guys were talking about before uh, he had a, he had a really bad month in August and um, finished out September in a little bit better fashion. I mean, the whip scares you a little bit. Um, but I, I think, you know, with what they've done and, and I agree with you, Lucas, that Duffy is an interesting guy. But I think they're trying to whittle away some of those distractions a little bit and get away from the Romos and the people of the world that may like that to kind of give Rodgers the clear the clear ticket. I mean, um, I definitely see a path here for him to be a top five or six closer uh, this year too, given the opportunity. Um, I think Minnesota is always competitive. They're always going to be a good team. And I think he just had a bad year. I mean, historically, he's been very good. Um, and his whip was his, his career whip is 1.15. You know, I'm, I'm willing to take a, a gamble that last year was a blip on the radar. And if he's the 10th or 12th guy that's coming off of the board as a closer, count me in. Absolutely. And with his whip, it was mostly fueled by hits. And I, absolutely, it, that doesn't scare me as much as if it's Walk City. So that's kind of exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his August numbers, he he gave up. He had one walk, but he had 18 hits. Mm-hmm. You know, that's brutal. Right. Yeah. His his absolutely his, his Babbitt was extremely like way out of the norm for him, and um, I I agree with you, Mike. <clears throat> I think um, again, probably not a guy I'm getting um in an NFBC league at cost, but um, I. I I think I might want to dip my toe in once with him because I think he's even coming at a little bit of a discount, to be honest. I think he's going to be locked and loaded as the guy. Um, so I like it. I, I don't see anything that tells me that he's not going to be the guy. Um, yeah. It's yeah. like we talked about before, right, with the opportunity thing, when we were talking about when we were first recording the first the first group that we did, right? It's like there's – if it's Hansel Robles and Tyler Duffy are standing in your way, I like your chances. Like, I think you're going to get a lot of opportunities. Although I do like Duffy. I, I think he's, he's a great candidate for holds. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, it's, it lines up nicely for him, I think, to be a top guy uh, if, as long as he, he does decently when he's out there. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I like what he's able to do when he's on the mound. I think he's, I think he's going to be the guy. He, he, he's like clearly – um, you know, I think it was a couple instances um where clearly showed that he'd he'd actually like outrun that like um the whole lefty bias thing where he was in there versus lefty. So um I mean first first righty. So <clears throat> I like him. I think I think he's uh as safe as a bet for like a floor of of saves than pretty much anyone out there. Um all right, what do we got here for the my hometown, New York Mets. Um, mm. I think that Diaz's skills is firmly entrenches him in my brain, at least into you. This is your job until you're really, really bad for a long stretch this year. Um, 
But they do have some other options, um, especially with them signing a bunch of um, getting Carrasco, I mean, and getting Stroman back. Maybe Lugo backed into the pen and Thor gets a little healthy too. So he might enter into the picture. Um, I'm firmly on Diaz though, and everyone else chipping in when they can. Absolutely. I was funny story last year. We, we were on vacation up on the, in the Western Michigan and we had the opening night game on uh, where uh, Diaz did not do so well, as I recall, if I, if I remember correctly. And my 10 year old son walked into the room and he goes, that guy's terrifying the way that he threw and how hard he threw. And I go, you're absolutely right. Um, Diaz is, he's amazing. And I, I think, you know, again, people last year wanted to shit all over him and, you know, write him off after a couple of bad outings. He righted the ship pretty well. If you recall back in the middle of the summer, he was about as solid of a closer as you were going to get. Um, he, the stuff is there. He's young. He's got the opportunity. Again, they got good guys behind him. I think they got some really good bridge guys. I really like it if they put Lugo back in to the um, the bullpen and um, if, if you have a return to form of uh, Jesselman. You, you got the makings of a really good bullpen there with uh, a guy that I think is a top five closer. Lucas? I think you guys uh I think you guys really nailed it with Diaz. Obviously the the skills are just beyond electric and you love to see that when when that can really drive the production. Um yeah. Love it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um I also think that uh like another team where will be a lot of option, uh, a lot of volume for for um, some holds, for sold saves and holds. Mm-hmm. But I think the distribution is at such a wide length where is you know the Mets maybe um, a team that wins a lot of games and put themselves in that position. But I think it's they have so many ways to go with it. I think that targeting one guy for. The hold value. I think you know, probably when I, you know, maybe May gets more of it, but they have a lot of good options. I think in in the pen. Um, Could you see yourself in a situation drafting in the leagues that you draft in where you take maybe a couple of Mets guys? No, like that wouldn't uh, be something you would do. No, I don't think so. I think I'm speculating elsewhere. Someone who, like other guys who have a shot, I think at. I don't think any of these guys have a shot really to to steal it from him the whole year, unless he's extremely bad, which I, maybe it's just me hoping he's not going to be extremely bad, but I don't think he's going to be. Um, so I I would rather get more, like I would rather take two from an, a team where I feel like there's no clear cut guy, I guess, like a team like Oakland or something like, you know, mm-hmm. there might be, I think multiples from here, um, that team, but Mets, I think Lugo, I think I could see maybe doing something like adding Lugo with Diaz as just to have, I think the two of them will get you saves plus some really elite ratios. Um, but I don't know. I definitely love Diaz, though, even though I haven't gotten him yet in any drafts. Mm-hmm. New York Yankees, uh, set it and get it. <laughs> yes. Uh, absolutely. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, how big is the role this Chapman going to be this year? Jesus Christ! Main, main event last year, he he just got announced with COVID. 
And I still took him because he was doing 1400 pound squats like the day he was announced, like with a mask on, like I got it. And I was like, oh, this guy's Superman. He can come back. No problem. Um, he definitely hurt me there. But still, uh, he as soon he was as soon as he was ready with Britain doing well, he came right back in. Uh, no, no hesitation. Um, uh, yeah, he got he got to feel as comfortable with with him, you know, as as any other reliever in the league. Yeah, and Britain will be a good opportunity for holds for sure. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe Green too. Good old reliable Chad Green, right? Absolutely. I uh, I want to ask you guys. Go ahead. Uh, I love to it. To be honest, Chapman's Chapman's one of my biggest targets, and I've I've landed him in a couple of my draft and holds so far, just because I feel so good uh, mm-hmm. about the the role and the skills are really good. Obviously. One year possibly could catch up to him, but I'm still willing to go for him anytime before pick 75, kind of that range. How important, uh, if you guys got Chapman, would it be for you in a draft and hold uh, to go ahead and lock in Zach Britton as well? I think that's a popular move. <clears throat> I think, and it's probably something that uh, it's so, it's so, I think it's in my head, it's something that I think makes sense. But then when I move into the draft, I kind of feel like, I don't know if I want to, again, maybe take shots where it might be more opportunity, but I see that double tap just in case, mm-hmm. right? The Chapman. Yeah. Um, I think theoretically it makes sense. And then when I, when I try to put it into action, um, I feel like then when I'm about to do it or thinking about doing it, I, I would be a little more reluctant. I have the same exact issue because it, it just, like you said, it makes sense. But when you're spinning pick 370, that's a real player still. So it's, mm-hmm. it's expensive. You know what I mean? Right. Right. You're right. That's a still, you know, um, a, a 480 at bat outfielder, you know? <laughs> so you really got to weigh how you want to play that card. And I think that's when, like you said, it totally feels like a good play. And then it's like, wait a minute. Like it never ends up being like, this is the right move. Mm-hmm. Um. Mike, did you just make a pick? Did I just see that? Uh, I did a little while ago. Yeah, I tried oh, to do wow. it as quietly as possible so that the horn didn't go off like it did in the middle of my class this morning. Oh, that's that's amazing. <laughs> this stupid ass. Scared the hell out of all the kids in my room. They're like, what is that? I was like, oh, it's uh, it's just a thing on my computer. Don't worry about it, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um- <laughs> stupid ass. <laughs> I, I do podcasts. It's a soundboard. Yeah, when I tell them that, they're just like, that sounds like a really nerdy thing that you do, Mr. Carter. I'm like, well, you know, I, it's my hobby away from you guys, so. Mr. Carter, that's nice. That's a t-shirt. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just I just went to check real quick if I were if I had to make a pick, but it's still a um, couple of picks away at least. Yeah, so. I think I took a very questionable picture there, I think, is what I did, if I recall correctly. Yeah, you took Ian Anderson. Um in in we're doing a uh, a twelve team I want to twelve team draft well, um best ball right on fan tracks to something Mister Michael Simeone the SP streamer himself set up um yeah and it's a pretty like you said it's a pretty healthy league and um this is the best ball the pitchers go quick uh, everyone's trying to gobble up the amount of ways they can um 
get pitchers in, you know, pitching points into the lineup. And it's, it's definitely trendy in all different formats, but more so in the best ball. So even though I don't really love Ian Anderson's skills, this is a pick right here that probably makes sense for you, given the landscape of how the draft's going. But some teams have well, that, makes, that makes That makes me feel good, Rob. Thank you, because I don't know what the hell I'm doing, as I've explained to you already. This is my first – First ever best ball was today, so I'm I'm gonna learn from you guys as I go along. There's some unbelievable talented, unbelievably talented people in this league. So, yeah, I like your start so far: Trey Turner, Trevor Bauer, Glass, now Tucker, um, Alonzo, and Ian Anderson. So, um, you know, I think for a first timer, you're doing a fucking hell of a job, Mike. <laughs> All right. We'll see how I do on the fifth one, right? Yeah. Keep rocking. Keep rocking and rolling. All right. I got I got a little while before I can get back to that and make sure I don't time out, which never happened anyway. But um, <laughs> So what's first? O or P? I need help with that. No, I'm just joking. Oakland. I know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Oakland Athletics. Um, this is one of another – one of more my more highly um, rostered relief pitchers, JB Wendelkin. I feel like he's going to be the guy here, and I like I love where he's going in the 500s to grab for um, some possible set, uh, speculation on saves. Um, how do you guys feel about this bullpen playing out? Boy, Oakland's a crazy situation, isn't it? I mean, um. Wendelkin, yeah, I could see that. He's an old White Sox farmhand. Um, um, I think I think Deakman might get a long look there too. Um, I know he's got a more of a reputation as being a, a guy for holds. As we said earlier, he led the major leagues in holds last year with 14 in 2020. Um, he doesn't he's got some saves in his career, uh, just but more opportunistic, seven saves total in his career, but if they don't bring somebody in, this is going to be a competition. And I could see either one of those guys taking the spot. Although I, I think, you know, with the experienced manager there in Melvin, I, I, I would guess he might lean Deekman just because of the familiarity with, um, with him and with the, with uh, being a reliable guy, but who knows? Right. I mean, and they lost talent too. I mean, they just couldn't, you know, Petite and Hendricks and Soria. If they have, they went from having a lot of arms to still possibly having some decent, you know, options. Um, Lucas, what do you feel about this uh, pen? I, uh, when I look at, at Diekman, it's, it's really difficult for me to envision him as a closer. <laughs> right. This is a, this is a guy with a career. He's got almost a career 1.4 whip. I know he had a good 20 innings last year, but um, there's no, no way I can I can buy him as a closer. Sure, he could possibly do it, but I'm not betting on it. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking at, you know, your asset cost and the draft champions, I mean, sure, you can take uh, a Tanner Rainey at 268 or Daniel Bard inside the top 300. But I think Wendelkin, after pick 500, where he's typically going, is absolutely money with lots of profit potential. And I've been trying to scoop him up as much as possible. Yes. All right. What to hear? I could totally see a situation too where they swoop in here in spring training and get somebody like Rosenthal or somebody too, you know, just to solidify mm-hmm. that. Oakland seems to kind of sneak in at the last minute and get value for uh, under the market for some of these types of guys too. You know, you ready for you ready for another um, 
this is not this is not like Phil Matan um level of pitching. Um, but definitely Hall of Fame Buck Farmer style name is Birch Smith. I mean, yeah. If there's a guy that's got to be a part of the Mount Rushmore of closer names that we've been digging up, you know, <laughs> Dwayne Underwood Jr., Buck Farmer, Birch Smith. I think he's probably in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I think we've I, I think we're gonna start a trend here. I, I feel it. We're we're digging up some really solid um relief pitcher names here. Um, the only the only trend that I really said is being asleep by 8 30 at night. What is going on? Is somebody playing a joke on me? I don't know what, what the hell is that, bro? <laughs> I mean, it's like some crazy ass rock and roll music is coming out of my computer. I can't figure out where it's coming from. Rock Sorry. and roll music. It sounds like you're playing Atari. I am 95 years old. Yeah. Rock and roll music. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So moving right along to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, Do we have to? Yes, we have to because. <laughs> I feel like Rich Rodriguez is a, a, a pretty solid choice if you're um, maybe as a number two to lean on at the beginning of the season. But I think he's another possible trade candidate guy to be careful about possibly going to a team where he's not going to be the closer. Yes. Um, that's the only thing I have about him because um, obviously I don't think he has any competition at all. And he's definitely the – most skill worthy guy to close, but I'm worried about him moving um, to a team where he's not going to be that guy. But obviously, you know, a draft champions again, you know, where you want to pick your spot getting saves. A lot of people go after save differently. Um, he can be useful in those stretches where you can't make fab, where you just need to gobble up saves wherever you can get them. And um, so you may be able to get them at the beginning of the year with him. Yeah, there's not going to be a lot of opportunity in Pittsburgh, I don't think, you know. Um, I think I agree with your assessment of Rodriguez. I could see him being traded and becoming a setup guy for somebody that's decent. You know, uh, who's behind him? I mean, Cal Crick, Birdie. I, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to have any interest in those guys, quite honestly. Right. It's not pretty. Luke, do you see anyone here besides Rodriguez that you may have even looked at? Yeah, I surprisingly do, even though it's the Pirates. I have a name who's going to be the uh, the Phil Maton of this team. Yes, um, let's go, baby. One guy, uh, one, one young guy here, a uh, 25-year-old uh, who has some promise, uh, Blake uh, Cedarland. This is a yeah. guy that regularly bumps triple digits. This is a 50th round guy at that, um, and – I feel like he has a chance, but I'm not really betting much on him. Interesting. Yeah, they got another guy there named Mears, too, that might be have some interest down the road, but I don't know that he's going to be there this year, Nick Mears. But Cedarland, yeah, you're right about him. He could be uh, he could be a deep sleeper, uh, somebody that you take in your last pick, you know, uh, like you're saying. I like that idea. Yeah, he's, he's dirt cheap. I'm looking here at uh, – at 27 uh, draft champions drafts from the last 30 days. And he only went in four. So if you, if you even have mild interest in him, you can get him for a song. I can't get away from the name they have. I just, <laughs> I can't believe I'm making this into a podcast about reliever name, but I just scrolled down, you know, on roster resource to look for Blake Cedarland. 
Um, and, you know, I just kept going with the names like um, Shea Spitzbarth, um, <laughs> Cameron Junker. Uh, I mean, this is great. This is good stuff. I mean, it's just worth drawing down roster research just to get a few laughs. Um, this is phenomenal. Shea Spitzbarth. I think that's got to go on the Mount Rushmore name, but good God, it's interesting. Blake Suderland. Okay. I'm going to write that down, Lucas. I'm going to do a little dig. All right. Um, okay. Now we can move on. I know you guys didn't want to do the Pirates at all, but no, that's okay. All right. Um, Santiago Padres. This is, uh, this is interesting group right here. I'm going, I have a lot of this team in a lot of different places. This is a pretty interesting bullpen to me. Um, yeah, one of those ones that I'm keeping, I'm monitoring the news on this bullpen and paying extreme attention during spring training. Um, tell me how you guys think this plays out. So well, that's this a is tough one. Go ahead. Yeah, Go ahead, is, Lucas. This is actually uh, one of the bullpens that's actually relatively cost effective in the draft champions. Even though there is a, a decent opportunity that they go out and add more talent, they have absolutely no issues blocking off guys such as potentially Cronenworth and, and Kim adding Profar today. So they're really loading up the talent, and they're, they're trying to win now. So there's a possibility that the guys that I'm talking about uh, do get blocked out of a role. But Pomeranz is absolutely, in my opinion, one of the best relievers in the game, and you can get him after pick 250. Whether he's getting saves or not, your guess is as good as mine but the skills are, are incredible and he gets out at a crazy basis. So I have no problem with him. The guy that I actually am, am desperately going after in every draft is Emilio Pagan available yeah. after pick 440. And a couple of years ago, this guy was the talk of the town in Tampa. And in my opinion, not much has changed and I'm all over him at that cheap price on this contending team. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I, I could see them, you know, maybe adding another another piece there if if the if the price is right because you're saying that they're in win now mode, and I could see where some people might say, well, you know, Pomeranz maybe he's not a closer, but he is a closer. He's got the stuff to be able to do it, and Pagan can do the job too, as he proved in Tampa two years ago, if need be. So their bullpen is an embarrassment of riches, and they've also got other guys there that might be able to help too, like um, Pierce Johnson and. Uh, I think you say it, Mora, Morahan. Uh, I, yeah, Adrian, Adrian Morahan. Yeah. Um, yep. they, they've got some guys there that are they can get the job done. Yeah, this is this is a stack pen to me. I feel like so many different ways to go. As Lucas mentioned, you know, the all around goodness that you get with Drew Pomeranz. Um, even if he doesn't gobble up all the saves, he's just I think a a great arm to put into the pen. Um, Totally in on the Pagan as well. I think he's another guy I probably have on two or three of my draft champion teams already. Um, especially at that price at 440, the way I'm attacking saves. I'm, you know, I'm taking more of the mass approach later on. And he's a guy that's just for always falling into my queue and usually picking up. Um, he has, you know, he's had the experience before, and I don't think they'll be hesitant to put him into that role again. Um, and Pierce Johnson as well. He's a, a, another guy that um, I'm we're talking about dabble, um, double tapping the Mets, um, double tapping. This is the team I'm double tapping um, with 
usually those two, but I'm also not afraid to try um, a Pagan Adams or Pagan, um, uh, let's see, um, yeah. One guy out of the blue is Matt Strom. Um, mm-hmm. he, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like maybe a Drew Pomeranz light, um, but can, I think if anything happens to Pomeranz, maybe Strom is the, you know, the Pomeranz backup in the, in that type of role. So a lot of options here, but um, yeah, Pierce Johnson's a guy who stands out crazy journey. He took, um, I think he was the first round pick in like 2013, maybe. And um, never made it as an SP bounced around, went to the Korean uh, Jap- Japanese league and was, you know, just developed a filthy curveball fastball combo, which was pretty cool when I checked it out on the new Savant, um, uh, the spin mirroring stuff, um, mm-hmm. which I'm just trying to get to, you know, understand a little bit better. And it's pretty fascinating, but, um, you know, he's, he benefits from that mirroring. So, um, and he put up some pretty impressive numbers um, last year for the Padres. So this is this is definitely a pen that I'm into um, in all different types of of ranges. Again, it's a good team. So if you're playing in a hold league, is you know again it might be spread out a little bit more than you'd like to. But um, again, watch usage patterns. Watch guys maybe got used mm-hmm. a lot one week and you know jump jump to another arm the next week because they have plenty of it. Um, I feel like in the drafts that I've done so far in the mocks and, and where I've been, that those guys are going at a discount because people are uncertain of roles. And I think that there's also a, a little bit of recency bias against Pagan. Um, and and right. I, I'm totally comfortable taking either one of those guys. Um, I, in one of the mocks that I did, you know, Pomeranz was like the 15th relief pitcher off the board. I'm like, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty good value, I think, there. I think so. I, I, I think it's definitely a good shot to speculate if you're if you're looking to gobble some up later in the draft and maybe you like going with the same pen or, um, you know, a good team, you know, for sure. Um, all right. So the Padres is definitely one of the most interesting deep team. Um, next team we have up is the Seattle Mariners. And this is another one of my... Um, a little bit of a sleeper pick here. So I'm going to let you guys take the floor first. Tell me who you see here as the guy and the possible next man up if he's not the guy. Uh, the guy that I love, and I don't know if he'll do it this year because of his youth and the injury return is Munoz. Um, I, I, I saw some clips of him thrown on Twitter a couple of days ago. I mean, he looks phenomenal already. Um, he looks, to me, I mean, my untrained eye, he looks like he's ready to go. You know, I, I think they obviously – they got Montero there to be kind of their guy, I think, in the short term. Um, they've got Kendall Graveman. I, I don't think that anybody – I hope that they weren't serious about running him out there as closer, honestly. That's just my opinion. But Munoz, I think, is a really deep sleeper and a guy that I'm looking at, uh, you know, late in, in drafts. Uh, his stuff is electric, and he was the centerpiece of that trade, you know, for, the, for them uh, with San Diego. I think that he's going to get an opportunity there at some point. I, I, I love him. I had him listed as my sleeper when we were talking earlier tonight uh, as somebody that I was going to point out as a guy that I would take really late. Very well. Very well. I like it. I like it, Mike. Lucas, what do you think? Oh, I, I absolutely agree with Mike there on Munoz. Um, this is a guy that 
has similar talent to, you know, a bruised dark Gratterall, and you can get him in a dynasty league for, for not a whole lot, probably, unless the mm-hmm. owner really loves him. Um, so that's a great call. Obviously, coming back from Tommy John, we'll see. But if you're patient with him and you always keep him kind of in the back of your mind, I think he'll have some good seasons. With Montero, this is a guy that has an elevated ADP uh, based on what I was expecting. He's going in the top 175, and uh, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. Hard pass. Hard pass. <laughs> yeah, I um... – I've always uh, liked Munoz's, you know, um, profile. I think he's definitely going to be a guy that they eventually take a look into. Um, I don't think it um, – I, I think if he gets thrust into the role this year, I, I think he'd probably be pretty well in it, but I don't think they're going to rush him into that type of high mm-hmm. leverage off of um, the injury and just their actual – team context um again one thing i really look at is you know like these the service time in the and the arbitration and um i actually feel like i uh, mike i'm a big like um anti what you said about kendall graveman i think they are serious about possibly putting this guy into the role Mm -hmm. um He's, he's, he's pretty, I, I mind the news a little bit and I read what they said about him when they resigned him and how they would love to get him back and how he felt comfortable about being a reliever and how much um, he learned about pitching. He said in that short time, and he was able to really, really change his pitch mix too, and really pump it out. I mean, he, he was hitting, I think he improved his fastball velocity um by maybe three miles per hour from august to september when he was Mm -hmm. became like a full-time believer so Mm -hmm. i think the the numbers that he's shown as a starter can be like under the hood um i mean on the surface it it, it's kind of going to skew a lot of people's thought process on it but i think he's going to be a Again, at cost right now, um, he's a guy that um, I'm lining up pretty often. You know, it's interesting because I think I think his, you know, when you look at it, it's a little misleading, right? Because you look at the K numbers and you think, oh, this guy's not going to strike out a lot of guys. He's, uh, you know, not maybe not somebody that you're terribly interested in. But you're right. I mean, he, when he went to the the bullpen in a limited sample, he did pretty well at the end of the year. Yeah, he did, and. Um... Yeah, I, I mean, who knows? You know, we're all. <laughs> this is the fun game that we like to play. But at, at six sixty six, um, and in a in a draft champions, where uh, again, yeah. you know, what how you built your team. Um, I, again, that's a little you know reading reading some articles from Seattle uh, based articles and just trying to read that team context. And it seems like um, lined up with something I. I feel strong about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a guy in, in Kendall Graveman that's obviously had some promise and just unfortunately hasn't been able to stay healthy, but the uptick in velocity as well as the shift of the bullpen, this honestly reminds me a little bit of uh, Mike Miner when you kind of hmm. think about those two factors. Interesting. Yeah. So he could he could revitalize his career. The guy's only 30 years old, which for a pitcher is nothing to add on more years to his career. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I think it's, it's also, um, you know, as we talked about innings, 
changing from starting pitcher to relief pitching, you also see, you know, starters also being more accepted of like um, changing their roles and becoming mm-hmm. relief pitchers that, you know, guys can realize what they can do in one or two innings where they couldn't sustain over five or six innings. So again, they change the pitch make. So they're able to um, throw pitches a little harder with more velocity and short, short spurts. So um, yeah, definitely a guy that I'm, I have been targeting a ton at this price and, you know, hopefully again, I'm hoping for, if I get six, even five or six saves at 666, uh, it's as long as I'm playing them that week, which, you know, that's all about the that boils down to, but I'm rolling to roll with it right now. You guys are costing me to reconsider him. I want to take a deeper dive into him. I was pretty against him, but I, I, you guys are swaying my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, Watching his, uh, Watching his start against the Astros last year, his velocity was just absolutely ridiculous. I think he was uh, between like 96, 97, 98. And right. yeah. when my Cubs signed him a few years ago, that was not the case. So it's just one of the many, many interesting things about baseball where you're wondering how mm-hmm. the heck did this guy get this velocity? Maybe yeah. the right person got into his ear and had him rework his mechanics. But considering the cheapness, I have no problem diving in once or twice on him. According to StatCast, on um, in August, his sinker was sitting at 92.4 and his four-seamer at 92.9. At the end of September, the sinker was sitting at 96. So it went wow. from 92.4 to 96. And the four-seam went from 92.9 to 95.8. So, I mean, that, that's healthy. That's a healthy bump and... Um, yeah, I don't know this, that caught my eye after I read the articles and I kind of dove in, um, again, it was the first thing I did for, uh, my DC hit the closer specs. Cause that's my strategy is go, go a little later. So I wanted to have good firm late target. And he's just been a guy that I'm like, yep, I'll take it. You know, I'll take it because a lot of things, a lot of things, he really improved his spin, everything, everything was pretty off the charts. stuff that I don't understand that, but the, I know the velo was real, you know, that was a real, real change. So Mike, you got some homework tonight. I, probably not tonight because I'm way, I'm like three hours past my bedtime already, but uh, <laughs> tomorrow for sure. All right. All right. I'll ask it tonight anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what's, um, Let's see. I should skip San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco. Did we talk about San Francisco yet? No. No, we, we haven't didn't. hit up. Uh, I mentioned Philadelphia either. No shit. I'm bouncing around too much. Philadelphia. Let's go back to Philadelphia. Philadelphia Phillies. Um, they've they've done what they've had to do and add add arms because this was a terrible bullpen last year. There was a couple articles that were out recently about the lack of velo the guys were hitting were throwing for last year, and it was evident in their surface stats and their metric stats. So um, what do you guys think happens here? You think Neris still gets the first run? Um, Bradley, the guy that you know, never really got a full time, you know, role for a long stretch. And then you got Alvarado um, and a promising young man, maybe in Connor Brogdon. Um, mm-hmm. What are you guys looking at here? Uh, I feel like it's Neris's job to lose. I think, um, you know, he didn't have a great year last year as nobody did in that bullpen, but he's been pretty good in the past. And uh, I know that's just a narrative comment, but it, you know, he's uh, 
he's a guy who's gotten big outs for them before. And the year before, um, he was undrafted in a lot of leagues and gave a lot of really good value as a closer. So I, I think he's the guy. I've never been sold on Archie Bradley being a closer. I, 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 you know, he's never really had a great opportunity, I guess, if you really boil it down. But um, he just seems like kind of a man without a country, you know, like what's his role? What's he do? You know, um, and I see him maybe use it. Maybe they use him as a as a multi-inning guy. And they've got Alvarado and Brogdon, as you said, who Brogdon probably, you know, is, is the hardest thrower. Well, Alvarado probably throws harder than Brogdon, but he Bradley can bring it, you know, he could be a guy that could sneak in there and get some, and get some opportunities as well. Um, especially if they falter. Very interesting. Very interesting. I like what I'm hearing, Mike. This is a, this is a definitely a bit of a tough situation to gauge. And uh, like Mike said, this was such a dumpster fire of a bullpen it might be challenging to actually get save opportunities to these players. Mm-hmm. Um, given the cost of Neris, um, 267, I mean, that's still, there's still some other guys there that I like. Um, unless he slipped, I probably wouldn't be grabbing him there. But Bradley is going um, about 100 plus picks later. And I feel like I don't really know who would be the guy. So if I needed some saves and Bradley was hanging out there, um, in the mid 350s kind of a range, I would have no problem going after him because I do like the, the low walk rates and the fact that this guy, he still, I do believe, has some potential at only age 28. He's bounced up and down some, but uh, I do think he has some potential paired with a good price and a clear path if Nara struggles. Yeah. You know, 19 Nurse had 28 saves and a 293 ERA, and he kind of fell under the radar a little bit, but he did blow a number of saves they were pretty high profile that year too. So this could continue to be a shit show um, if it's not managed real carefully. Um, You know, we'll have to see how that all plays out. Yeah, this is, this is pretty interesting to me. Um, uh, Darius was a pretty, he, he had a pretty healthy ADP before the signing of Bradley. And since then he's, I think went to a spot where I'm like, um, this signing, I think, was a, put a bigger dent, a larger impact than I thought it would on his ADP price. It went to, I think, a spot where uh, um, I think I'm pouncing on where um, if you're waiting on saves, he, he's coming he's coming down. And um, I think it might be under false pretenses that Bradley is going to be more of an option than he is. Um, so it might be, it might be an opportunity to buy. I don't really like Alvarado to close. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just haven't liked what he's been able to, I know he's had like a couple of interesting personal circumstances last year and um, besides COVID. So um, obviously we don't know those human elements, but he, he, he's been losing the ability to like let guys to get the guys to chase out of the zone on on his hard stuff that breaks out of the zone. So, and his his splits versus lefties uh, hasn't been so great the last couple of years. And I feel like you know that might it might not be might not play up as an option for saves um, or even a healthy dose of holds. Um, I respect Bradley. It just seems like it's setting up for me in my eyes for Neris. You know Bradley you know, setting up eight, nine. So, um, but 
Definitely something to keep an eye on. You know, if they're serious too, they might even add a couple arms, maybe not to really be a threat to close, but to shake up the bullpen a little more um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. San Francisco Giants. Um, I think I mentioned them a little bit in a possible Melanson, Melanson landing spot, but um, let's get into this uh, bullpen for a little bit. Tell me what you guys are seeing here with Mr. Gabe Kapler. Um, obviously, we talk about team context, uh, a situation where he's willing to roll out whoever can get the job done to win a game. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he doesn't care about fantasy. Not many managers, you know, no, no manager does, but you know, uh, he, he definitely more willing to mix it up and keep us in guessing for his next move. So what do you see here happen? Mike? Yeah, Mr. sure. I can, I'll be the... Mr. Uh, Carter? Yeah, I think, you know, I think uh, it's Reyes Maranta, if nothing else changes. Um, he's coming off an of injury. He's got a Mike Carter build, though, which is a problem for a pitcher. He's 5'10 and 265 pounds. Um, I'm not quite 265, but that's a lot of extra baggage to be carrying around when you're trying to pitch. Although uh, his his fastball velocity is uh, is pretty insane. Um, I don't see in San Francisco right now anybody that scares me to take that role away from him if, in fact, he's healthy and looks like he's ready to do the job in spring. Uh, I'm not a big Trevor Gott guy. Um, I'm not a Tyler Rogers guy. Tony Watson is a free agent and it looks like he's taking a walk as well. It might just be a war of attrition here and it just might end up being in Maranta. Um, it maybe not to start the year necessarily, but I think to finish the year, uh, he might be the guy. Um, he's, uh, he's got a little bit of experience. He's pitched three seasons for them before he got hurt. 160 total strikeouts and 128 innings. That speaks to me um, if he's healthy. Uh, maybe a late round dart throw. He might, he might be pretty cheap. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Maranta is uh, definitely probably the most interesting guy in the pen. Uh, I know this bullpen had to have caused Mike tons of stress last year as, as Kapler's absolutely infuriating with his closer usage. It was awful. Uh, it's so bad if anyone that tried to get any bull, any saves out of this bullpen, it made you want to pull your hair out every night. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating because I had uh, I unfortunately had Tyler Rogers in a couple of draft and holds for next to nothing. Thought that I had something and just my opinion shifted so many times with him. So I'm not going to do the dance again with Tyler Rogers. Watching a guy try to get outs with 79, 80 miles an hour is not fun. No. <laughs> Um, Not unless you're like in a 14-year-old baseball league or something, you know? <laughs> no. So, so Maranta is quite interesting. Um, he's not free, but uh, he's interesting. Matt Whistler is a guy that in the very last few rounds, if he was still marinating out there, I would have no issues going after him. He had a lot of success throwing 83% sliders last year. And this team sought him out and brought him in. It was only a million bucks, but uh, I do like Whistler's some. Yeah, he had a he uh, he looked really good last year. His K per nine was up way up last year for him too. Like that's a that's an interesting choice down the road if you can get him. Yeah, and I have him in an old league, and uh, yeah, I have no problem starting him. I feel pretty happy about it. Mm-hmm. 
Very interesting. Yeah, this is uh, a dangerous team to get involved with, with the Gabe Kapler and, who, you know, the skill sets are so volatile in that range. But, um, you know, I could definitely see uh, – this is why I, I, I think it's a spot for, like, a guy like Melanson. Um, but mm-hmm. um, I don't really – I don't think I'm really messing with anything that's there right now. Nothing really screams out to go reach and get those guys. Um, yeah, unless you have stock in Tums, I would pass here. Um, unless you can get Maranta really late. I love that. Stock in Tums. Um, St. Louis Cardinals. Um, this is an interesting bullpen. Um, definitely some worthy options in the pen. Um, they are still doing the whole Alex Reyes experiment. We don't know where exactly he would land. Got C-Mart, too. Is he going to be closing? Is he going to be starting? Um, interesting, interesting stuff. But I think it comes down to ultimately Hicks being healthy, and he's the guy. Um, he was, I think, on track to be the guy and was the guy um, for the Cardinals. And I think they're going to be going right back to him once he's, you know, is ready to go. And I think he is ready to go. I think with that shortened season mess, they kind of just said, let's mm-hmm. not even try it last year. But mm-hmm. I think he's in a good spot. And kind of like where he's going right now, he's that relief pitcher when I'm going in that range to grab one instead of waiting and going mass later on. Um, he's a guy I'll go and, you know, round 13, 14 in the dra- uh, draft champions if I'm looking for that, you know, number one closer with um, upside. Number one closer upside. Uh, that's my number one go-to, I think, right now in that range. Um, but that could definitely come to backfire on me, but something I feel pretty strong about. What do you guys think about this bullpen? You think Gallegos has a shot to be the guy again? I feel as if this is uh, this is one of the messiest bullpens around. Right. Uh, the fact that they're potentially going to be the division leading team is quite a good selling point because they will have the opportunities uh, to provide some saves. Um, Hicks is a guy that you can truly envision being a top five closer. Uh, and Gallegos has, has a bit of potential too, but um, their cost is, is just a bit too much for me given the uncertainty, I believe, of the role. So the, the guy that I've actually been able to scoop up after round 40 in a number of leagues is, is old and boring, but Andrew Miller is a guy that I think there's a chance he could factor in and be useful from, you know, certain weeks. I like that. I, I mean, he, he, he can never sneak out of my mind, Andrew Miller, <laughs> not until he retires. There were several, several times in 2020 where I sat there late night on a Saturday getting ready to do the closing remarks where I thought, if I, I'd have a better chance of winning a game of Russian roulette than trying to pick who's going to get saves in this bullpen. <laughs> and uh, I was losing my mind there in mid-August. You know what was going on there. You know the obviously Gallegos got opportunities. So did Miller. Um, Reyes was there too. But I, I just really feel like they really want Hicks to take that role. But I don't trust it. You know, Schilt mm-hmm. has shown a propensity to kind of go with hot hands and go with his gut. And he's done a pretty good job with that. This is a really tough situation to be an owner in and, and try to find value uh, here with, with these guys. I, I think they really do want Hicks to be that guy. And I could see 
a scenario where Hicks becomes the closer and Reyes is used as that kind of, like we talked about the stopper role with Hayter uh, earlier. I, I think that could be a situation where they use him for multiple innings as a weapon too. Um, St. Louis has got a number of starting pitchers coming off injury, um, some ineffectiveness. They could be using their bullpen as a tool if they revamp it a little bit this, uh, this off season. So we'll see what happens, but this is a really tough one to touch. I think. It is. It is tough to touch. And, you know, going by NFBC ADP since um, uh, draft champion since January 7th, to have the filter on to a random date. Um, and I see, you know, we got Hicks at 235, Gallegos 282, and Reyes 380. And to me, it's either I'm going early with Hicks or later with Reyes. And I'm not mm-hmm. really feeling that Gallegos um, ADP um, just the way. I'm thinking about it right now. I I think I'll take that shot that Hicks becomes one of the better, more concrete closer options in this league mm-hmm. and then back that off. You know, um, if I don't take him, I would actually go the route of speculating on Reyes. One thing I will add on about Hicks, uh, even though I have great uncertainty with what the outcome is, I do feel as if the variance he has is absolutely tremendous. So, he does have unbelievable upward mobility. So I understand taking that shot for the uh, what could go right factor. Right. Absolutely. All right. Um, yeah, that was a deep run right there for the Cardinals. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the Tampa Bay Rays. Always so fun. Um, geez. I mean, you guys start with this one. I, there's so- <laughs> So many ways to go here, I feel like. What are you guys thinking? Too much spread here, right, to really hone in on a guy who do you like Anderson? I mean, Anderson kind of shit the bed a little bit in the playoffs. It definitely looked like something was a little off with him, but he still mm-hmm. had a, a full season of impressive numbers. With, uh, with Anderson, like you said, he definitely did struggle there in the playoffs. I feel as if they kind of overused him. Uh, in too many games, obviously you want to go with your best guy. So I don't, I get why they did it to an extent, but uh, I was absolutely shocked when I saw he was a, a top 150 pick. <laughs> Being on the Rays, I feel like you should kind of know what you're going to get there. And uh, obviously, he's he's one of the better pitchers uh, in the game from a relief perspective. But that's just way too much cost for me. And even though they they aren't going to have a set closer, I don't think. Uh, Diego Castillo after pick 300 is a guy I'm willing to go for because I think that the numbers you're going to get while he's in your lineup are going to be quite serviceable. And I think he has a chance to reach double digit saves. I like it. I totally agree with the cost thing for Anderson. It's elite skill set. He is more of, I think a head to head guy for me in like head to head categories with solds. I think he, immediately becomes a target but in a good old-fashioned roto at the nfc nfbc price is 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 too much for me there's a crazy thought i think about tampa bay a lot uh, you know obviously with what they did last year they had what 13 different guys get saves 12 different guys get saves um they're always six ahead that, of the game Mike, six that unbelievable <laughs> Isn't that crazy so, oh crazy so, man so i you know, my thought and my wonder is, is that, you know, Tampa is always ahead of the curve and way ahead of everybody else. But 
wouldn't it make sense that one of these years they would they would settle on a closer and just be done with the bullshit and say, you know, we're going to Anderson's going to do this and then we're going to use the rest of these guys behind him. And I agree with you. The price is high, but I love the skill set. And here's my mm-hmm. thought process. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I very well could be. I would rather take a guy like Nick Anderson and take a six starter and get his hundred hundred innings and a hundred strikeouts. Uh, however, I can get to me, there's much more play with that than there is in, tra- in drafting a mediocre starter who might, you know, blow up my ratios and kill me some week. So I, I actually do like him. And I do wonder in my heart, and I, maybe it's just because I want to believe that, that they're going to say, okay, you know what? He's the closer. We're going to leave him alone. Fuck it. Let's go. And um, I don't know that that'll happen, but I, I, I wonder if it will, because his talent is so much better than the guys that are around him. I know that they use their cash as a master of using these guys as Swiss army knives, but I mean, this guy is, it's, it's sick, right? I mean, what he does. Um, and I, and I wonder if some of the recency bias from watching him in the playoffs will, will drive that price down as we get closer to spring training. So I, I'm I'm still in on him, and I and I like him a lot. I, in a couple of leagues, um, I ended up with him and Devin Williams and a, and another and a and a, a true closer, and I was pretty satisfied with that. That that's a that's a great point strategically, Mike. I mean, the pitching is so tough to predict year to year. I mean, we cannot project it that well compared to hitting. And I have the ADP pulled up here. Here's the guys that are going right before Nick Anderson. So it's quite healthy names: Joe Musgrove. Sixto Sanchez, Sandy Alcantara, and then Brad Hand. But then it's kind of the confidence level goes down after Anderson's off the board. It's Corbin, Dustin May, Frankie Montas, Tyler Molly, Alex Colomay, and Devin Williams. So I think you're absolutely right. When you draft Williams or, or Nick Anderson, sorry, you're not expecting, you know, you've been 20 saves. You're just expecting to load them into your lineup and feel great for 26 yeah. weeks. Set it and forget it, right? Just absolutely. go. That's a fair call. You're not drafting him for the saves. Yeah, I I think it's to me it's still format specific. Um, I like for draft champions. Like to me, and I think there's research on this um, from Jeff Zimmerman in the process. But the value of double starts, even from a pitcher outside the ADP of 250, is is worth more than a the volatility volatility of a middle or lever trying to anticipate their innings. And um, it's just something that stuck with me. And, and I kind of realized last year, the va- you know, obviously it was crazy schedule and we had some crazy stuff going on, but I saw the value and even some, some, you know, weak double starts in the draft champions when you need that volume. So I think for me, it's a format specific thing. I think, like I said, in a head to head league, where maybe it's categories and, you know, you don't have to meet a super high inning threshold. I think maybe he's a guy you can roll out there and he'll definitely benefit you. But um, it's a spot in the draft too, where I'm not picking any pitchers really at all. If I'm going anywhere in this range that he is at the 140, it's, it's, it's slightly below it with, Musgrove Gaussman. Um, and then I really don't go back into that range until um, probably like, you know, the, the, the 240 range with Ryan Yarbrough, who I really like this year. Um, but uh, it's, it's not a range where I'm going for pitching. And I, I, I still think that a guy who's not locked into a closer position, he really doesn't bring a ton of value 
in terms of um, like waiting later on and getting a less skilled pitcher, but who can give you those weeks where he might bring you a double start. See, and that's why you're writing the blurb on the back of the forecaster, Rob. <laughs> it, is, it is format. It is format dependent for sure, no doubt about it. That's a great point. Yeah, he's you know, he's he's a, he's he's a hell of a talent. You know, there's, no, there's nothing to knock that um, at all. Yeah, he's filthy. Um, but yeah, I just I I've again like it was, Jeff Zimmerman did some great research on that in the book, the process, uh, and he breaks it down into ADP of you know one to 50 and what what the dollar value is per start for a double start pitcher that weeks and it shows like um you know the even the deeper you go how the those starts can just give you the volume you need to actually be a benefit to your mm-hmm. team so um mm-hmm. all right so here we go with the uh texas rangers this is um it's an interesting spot because I feel like it's a possibility for a pity, uh, a possible buying profit for Leclerc. Um, if you're not buying into the other guys behind him or them just giving the trust back to Leclerc um, this year, could be an interesting situation where um, a guy who was a certain closer just a short time ago now is falling to a price where people feel like, you know, he's not comfortable with him getting the majority of the saves. So how do you guys feel about this situation? I, uh, I like Leclerc. I think uh, where he's going and the, and the potential value he provides you again, uh, lots of red on the stat cast, which we like to see. Um, I think he had, um, you know, 2020 obviously is a lost season for him. But uh, he, he was pretty good in 19, and I think they, you know, the, the Texas is a, another kind of enigmatic team to me. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to be or, or uh, what they're going to be like and if they're going to be mediocre or if they're going to win some games. But um, he's, he's a young guy, younger, you know, 27. Uh, they've got Jonathan Rodriguez there behind him as well, who is um, a, a potential stud waiting to happen, right? Uh, not Rodriguez, Hernandez. I'm sorry, Jonathan right. Hernandez. Um, Jolie Rodriguez I, I, is the Rodriguez, right? Yeah. I'm sorry, I blew that one. It's but, all uh, good. It's all good. Well, Leclerc, Leclerc, I think, is the guy um, until further notice, and I think that they really want him to be. I think moving Montero was was a sign to them. Hey, you know, we want you to be the guy. Um, I'm not sure that they're ready for Hernandez to have that opportunity yet. Great point. They did ship him off and. Another sign that they want to be the closer is, you know, they signed him to a four-year, you know, $14 million deal, $14.75 million deal. So it's hard to see them saying, hey, you can be our setup guy for that amount of money. So, um, and it's funny because the ADP doesn't reflect to me the kind of job security that he may have. Oh, I'm absolutely with you guys. I, uh, I would love to buy Leclerc on the down. You know, since you're not you're not trending up like uh, some of the previous guys we had discussed, and I absolutely love him. The only the only problem is though that that shoulder injury, mm-hmm. uh, it does it does concern me. But that's more than baked into the price, so that's just something I'm thinking about. But I can't really complain about it too much since it's already factored into this 350 ADP. Right, right, absolutely. That's a great spot to pick him. I think. 
I think so too. I think so too. And I think after people listen to this excellent information we're feeding them that he's going to (laughs) go. All right, let's move along to the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, This is a team that's been very active, obviously in the news and with some signings. Uh, Maybe not the, the starting pitching level that, people think they have enough to, you know, make a run as a, like a legit playoff team. So it could be interesting what they can try to piece together in the bullpen. Again, like we're talking about shortening the game, this might be a situation with that, but um, I mean, I, I, I have a couple of Jordan Romano shares from pre Kirby Yates days that I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm hoping, you know, that, I still get something from him, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, him and Dolis did a good job last year um, as well. So um, this is interesting. Do you guys think that any of them have the ability to supplant Yates as the top guy? Yes. I still have a firm belief in Romano's ability. This guy that was – this is one of the, the best pitchers we saw last year as far as, you know, his performance. I don't have any trust whatsoever in Yates' ability to stay healthy. So when Romano's cost inevitably plummets because people are thinking that Yates is, is locked in uh, as they think he is, I, I'm going to be all over the, the cheap Romano. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think um, the buying opportunity for him is going to be great. And uh, Yates' surgery was to remove bone chips, and it wasn't Tommy John, which is important, I think, in some ways. But he's also almost 34 years old. And I think that Toronto, as you said before we started to record, Lucas, they're in win-now mode. You know, they're clearly going for it. And I think there's a peace of mind that whether it's right or wrong, there's peace of mind that a manager gets by having somebody like Kirby Yates at the back of your bullpen, right? Like he's done the job. He's done the role. He knows what, he knows what goes into it. He knows how to mentally prepare for it. And Romano has more arm talent than Yates does, but Yates has the experience. So I totally buy what you're saying though, is that it's very possible that if Yates is ineffective, that they've got Romano and Rafael Dolis there, that could both do the role fairly effectively. And I could see a situation where Yates starts out with the role, but as they get into June and maybe he's a little bit less effective or maybe he's not uh, as good as what he's been before, that they move on to something else. But teams that want to win, I think, feel like they want to have somebody that's proven at the back end. And Romano, as good as he is, is not a really proven commodity, obviously, just based on what last year was. But he's electric. I saw him pitch a couple times and – the stuff is legitimate. Absolutely. That's why I took a couple of shares of him early in the season, early in the drafting season. Um, yeah. He, I think definitely had a special arm. I saw that for sure. Just like you guys are saying. Um, yes. Yeah, it, it should be interesting. I know Yates brings that experience level. Got to prove he's healthy. Uh, the contract was pretty much structured with some incentive, but they still gave him a decent base. Um, so it seems like they expect him to be their, their, their closer. I have a question for you guys. Imagine Ken, a healthy Ken Giles on this team right now. Um, mm-hmm. he, he'd probably be a top five closer, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you definitely bump him up this year if he was healthy. Oh, sure. man. Yeah, I know. He's just, uh, you know, I, 
who was one of my favorites to target the last couple of years, you know, because he always fell into that price where it's like people were a little bit scared, a little bit scared of him. And um, last year, I think he finally gained the trust of some, some, you know, some, some fantasy managers and obviously got hurt, but this would have been a beaut for see him. You know, I think with his closer skill set, I think this is, this would have been a great situation for him. Yeah, oh, wow. and the overall, it's uh, it's it's not quite as bad as the Phillies. They definitely do need a little bit more help, but you know they've got some other intriguing guys such as Thomas Hatch, who I mm-hmm. like a little bit, and mm-hmm. Julian Merriweather. They've got some names. They need to add more to this depth, but it's a start for a team that hopes to uh, potentially make the playoffs next year. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you can also run into the possibility, right, that um, maybe they do add a couple of starters to their rotation and maybe you kind of get a stripling that gets into that, you know, bridge role or the long relief role. So interesting ways they can go there as a team that's definitely trying to win now. Um, All right. We got down to the last team, Um, (laughs) unless I – missed the team with my inability to go in alphabetical order. (laughs) I actually should have just been going by ADP on the NFBC. It's nice in order that way. I was going by roster resource and it was, you know, they have it in order for American and national. So anyway, uh, sorry for all that nonsense, but we're on the last team. Now the Washington nationals, this is an interesting situation here. Um, Again, if yeah, you know, this is, it's funny because, as much as to me, you know, you may love the skills of Tanner Rainey, a guy who, even though Daniel Hudson has came out and said that he doesn't really, not really thrilled being a closer. Um, he has the experience being a closer and he's the only guy with experience, like firm experience on this team. Um, and he's going a hundred picks later than Rainey. So it's very interesting to me. It's an interesting dynamic to, I think the team that's, going to be a you know pretty competitive team so uh this team strikes me as another possible landing spot for somebody else but yes. how, how are you guys playing this right now with Hudson and and Rainey because Rainey seems to be a popular um a pretty much you know like a pretty big helium guy right now yeah I I'm not touching Hudson mm-hmm. um uh, you know Rainey I like uh, obviously he was in some pretty high leverage situations for them last year and did a really nice job. The one thing that scares me about him is the um, ending the season early with the forearm tightness. That, that's never something you want to hear with a pitcher, but it's also maybe depressing his value a little bit. So you might be able to get a discount on him if he's healthy. I could definitely see Washington, you know, with their, their recent moves of, um, you know, with, with adding Schwarber, um, and uh, Josh Bell, and they re-signed Ryan Zimmerman today, I think. Uh, I definitely think that they're thinking that they're still in this thing and, and in it to win it. Could definitely see one of the free agent type of closers landing there. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them go after somebody like, say, Roberto Osuna and, as a crapshoot and say, hey, you know, this guy was good in the past. He's top five guy in the past. His arm might be blowing up any time now, but they might be able to ride that for a while too. Um, they Rizzo has shown a propensity to, to fill those needs and fill them pretty effectively. And um, 
it would not surprise me at all if they added somebody here um, in the meantime to, to, to close out the nines for them. Very interesting. I completely agree with Mike there. It, it, it always felt like the White Sox were going to add another reliever to the end of the bullpen just because they are so aggressive and going for it this year with the Lance Lynn deal as well as some other moves. And the Nationals, I agree, feel the same way. When you look at Rainey, he's got all the skills, but he's got a relatively elevated price inside the top 270. So uh, that's wow. Is he that is he that high still? Wow. Over the past uh, over the past 30 days, that's where he's coming up as 268 wow. with a 220 uh, men and a 307 max. So he wow. he doesn't really even slip. Huh. So a lot of question marks in a high price. So I'm out there. Uh, even though he's talented. And then you look at Hudson, I mean, outside of whenever he dominated in the world series, he's uh he's, he's been, he's been pretty pedestrian with, you know, close to a, a, a one thirty career whip. So kind of, it kind of honestly reminded me of Jake Diekman. And when you look up their ADPs, they're literally right next to each other. Interesting. And Hudson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that they're definitely going to uh, potentially add someone and I don't have much confidence in anyone on the roster right now. I got one for you guys. You ready for this? What if, what if they brought back Sean Doolittle? Hmm. I know he's been pretty terrible recently, but we're talking about comfortability a couple times here. We've hit on that. We've been talking about going back to the team they feel comfortable with. You know, obviously, you know, he he had a couple of um, interesting things happen to him during the season. But what if they, what if they bring him back? And, and they give him a shot again, you know. Um, it's not something I'm definitely going to go fishing for, but we've seen crazier things happen from bullpens before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could see a scenario, too, where they end up with somebody like Rosenthal or Hand, too, right? I mean, somebody that's got some experience, whether whether we feel that stuff is lights out or not as a closer, they they clearly have a need for another bullpen arm there at the end of the game. Right, and, and I think it's – yeah, I think it's so interesting too. You know, I think we talked about a couple of the higher type of free agent closers that were available um, in the first segment of the bullpen. But then, you know, we can get into what if someone gives a shot to Shane Green? What if someone gives a shot to Brad Boxberger? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what if, what, how about David Robertson? How about Keona Keeler? Um, Sergio Roma, uh, Romo, like, Guys who have some experience and who have done it before for a little bit, uh, Tony Watson, you know, what if they go that route? You know, they can add like a lesser guy. Um, so now that I just mentioned those guys too, is it, there's a ton of opportunity out there. I think these guys, once spring training comes around and guys start falling victim to injury or teams start assessing, you know, once the DH falls into place the, and teams start assessing ways they want to go and fill out their their salary cap, um, there's a bunch of really good bullpen arms here that I think are going to fall into some, to some saves, you know, and that we're just going to keep an eye on and, um, you know, mind the news for, like you said, about Munoz watching the tape, seeing if a guy like that can come back from injury. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. I love, I love bullpens. I'm like, so addicted to bullpen that's there's another <laughs> t-shirt yeah man we, it's a bad yeah. thing to be addicted to but i guess it's better than crack so yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yo, crack, crack is cheaper than these bullpens for sure so 
<laughs> we got some serious ser- this is this is great this has been this is an awesome episode i mean we had a blast we came up with t-shirts we came up with uh, a club a closer club for for cool names i mean uh the, um i'm in heaven right now this is this is awesome we got some really good stuff here on well, top you guys- of on yeah, top I, of the you know, stand out closer and hold information, we get all this extra stuff on the side. Well, one of the things I'd like to say, you know, as we wrap up here is um, I've followed both of you guys for quite a long time and have been really enthralled with your work for a really long time. And to be on a podcast with both of you in a week where you've had people like Brian Rudd and Todd Zola and David Mendelson is like, I like pinch myself. I never thought anything like this would ever be something I'd be able to do. Um, and so I really thank you for the opportunity, Rob. It's been great getting to know you guys. And it's really great putting faces with names. Finally. Um, it's super enjoyable. Great way to spend a Friday evening. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Mike. The, one of the most satisfying things about, you know, getting a chance to know guys, you know, in this sport that, you know, we're, we're in such a small minority of people that know so much about this game, getting to know some of these guys. I mean, it's just an even better experience than you can think of. I mean, everyone's so much more welcoming and nice than even, you know, you're already expecting it, but it's just an even greater experience than you can anticipate. So I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's really amazing. I, I feel so grateful and blessed to be able to, you know, hang out with, you guys and just be on the same level and have fun and uh, it's great it's it's awesome what we could come together on like i feel like the whole world would need if the whole world played fantasy baseball (laughs) right would there be any issues with the world (laughs) besides besides bullpen (laughs) yeah besides their tums intake or whiskey intake watching these bullpens implode every year yeah yeah, they, see, there's your slogan, Mike, as you run for office. Like, would you rather have your kids do crack or bullpens? <laughs> I can honestly tell you that there will be no office runs because the skeletons need to stay where they are in the closet, boys. Uh, <laughs> don't need any of that shit coming out. So <laughs> that's awesome, though. Yeah, I, I really, again, I love, I love how um, I'm getting to meet so many people because um, just so many range of, of 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 guests you know guys have been in the game for as long as it's been around and people have just started just like myself and it's, it's great um couldn't for, ask for any cooler hobby to have than to be able to dig into fantasy stuff but before i let you guys go even though i've kept you for so long tonight even though we are breaking this this is broken into two segments this is one whole night of hanging out with these Fine, guys. We have some questions from some listeners. Um, first one is from Todd Barnes at, at Todd underscore Barnes. He wants to know how many teams slash which teams will have a closer earn 75% of their team saves and which bullpen. Uh, yeah, so let's 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 go with that one first. Um, what do you guys think about that one? That's a great question. Um yeah, so 75% of the team stayed. Just for some context, um, I just did some quick math in my head as I was reading it, which probably why it took me four minutes to read it. But um, <laughs> 50 saves, 75% of a team that has 50 saves, which was, I, I think, at the top of the league um, two years ago in 2019, um, that's about 37 and a half 
saves from one guy, a team who had 35 saves, 75% of that would be about 26 and a half. So, and that was like toward the lowerish third, uh, higher part of the third, um, third percentage of the league in saves. So given that, what are you guys looking at? Um, who do you expect to get 75% of their team saves? Wow. <laughs> I think that's going to be a low number, guys. I'm going four or five. Yeah, I could see, you know, I, it might be a little more than that. I mean, I, I think I could – obviously the White Sox, I think. Um, I think the Yankees. I think um, the Angels. Um, the Dodgers, I think I would go with. Um, hmm. The Mets. Was that five? Milwaukee, I wouldn't – I don't think so. I'd say – I think you're right, Rob. Five might be the, the number. Five teams that might get that. I okay. totally agree with you, Mike. And uh, I think all those teams are very logical. But we all know that a couple of those guys are going to get hurt. And yep. you're going to be looking at some pedestrian guys battling to try to get the job done. And, and that, that, that's why this number is so tough to get the injury volatility of this position just makes it even harder to stomach too. When you look at guys like Yates or even a performance like Trinan just completely collapsing in front of our eyes uh, in 2019. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. That's a big number. 30, 75% is a big number. Okay. Second question from Mr. Todd Barnes is he wants to know which bullpens are you not touching with a 10 foot pole in 2021? <laughs> um, I think we, you know, we definitely hit on that. So, uh, for 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 quick um, brief brief touch up, um, I think we mentioned you know Pittsburgh as one that you guys wanted to skip. <laughs> yes, uh, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there's definitely a couple more off the top of my head. Um, we discussed the the Giants being a little bit of a mess. Is there anything mm-hmm. else that came up to bubbled up real quick for you guys as the quick stayaways? Detroit, right, was another one. I think we yeah, Detroit, and you know, for me too. I mean, I, it's an unpopular thing to say, but Boston's situation right now, I don't think I would touch either. Right, right. Lucas, do you remember any off uh, quickly off the top of your head that um, stood out to as definite stayaways? Colorado, um, I, think, I think you mentioned too, right? Because you didn't like Bar too much. Yeah, I'm. I'm very concerned about uh, using Colorado players because they can give you one. Or, they can give you a couple of good weeks of stats and and literally just. <laughs> wipe that away with one inning you bet. um since uh san francisco i don't want anything to do with unless it's literally bottom of the barrel price and honestly um even though there is a lot of potential for hicks if they let him rip given the price i i don't want uh i don't want st louis either unless it's a cheap andrew miller right got it um where do Colum A and Rosenthal, again, from Mr. Todd Barnes, where do Colum A and Rosenthal land in rankings if they sign with the team and project to be that team's closer? So I'll rephrase it like this. Do you think they land in the top 10 if they're named closers for their new team? Hmm. Michael, you go first. I would say Rosenthal has a chance at top 10, but I don't think Colum A does. Okay, Luke? Same thing. I, you know, honestly, this is, I don't want to cop out at all, but 
it, it's one of these teams where sometimes they, they do feel good to give them the 75 plus percent chances. And that's going to truly boost either of these guys' opportunity to crack that top 10. So if they can go to a team where the managers just push button to bring them in, I can see them there, but they're, they're somewhat on the uh, periphery and uh, I, I don't see either one cracking it, but if they go to a team that's uh, high usage towards one guy, I could see it. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm thinking the same thing. I think Rosenthal hovers to me in the, in, in, in with the potential to be a top 10 on a really good team, a really good landing spot for him. And column A, um, yeah, I guess, you know, we're all just expecting the, the non-swing and miss and to never, you know, to, I guess we kind of bypass that as something we really look for, even though he continues to get the results. Um, yeah, I, I he's not a type of guy I put in my top 10, I think, go forth this year. Um, I do think that there is a world where he could compile his way into there, though, is kind of my point. Right, right, yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. We have a question from Mr. Aaron Pags from uh, at Fantasy Triage. He uh, part of the uh, Fantasy and Frames um, group over there. He has a podcast with Perfectly One Framed with um, Nate Markham. Good bunch of guys. They just got involved with Draft Champions. Uh, they said they got a little motivated off listening to my podcast about all the. Mm -hmm. Um, talk and I wanted to get into it in into that league. Just had too many other leagues going on at once, and um, I didn't like the way I overlapped the two DCs last time. It was just uh, an experience I'd rather just avoid. Uh, but anyway, he um, they are pretty focused on bullpens a lot too. Um, Mike and Nate, um, Aaron and Nate. So they he had a question: Is which pitch specific measurements normalize soonest with fewest quote um, in parentheses with fewest pitches thrown in order to use to help identify the next man up behind shaky late inning relief pitchers for in-season analysis guys have I, I know Mike you had you had a classic response to that on Twitter you said that you were afraid you were going to need advanced degree to answer that question. I have uh, one advanced degree, but I feel like I need another one to understand the question. <laughs> Sounds like you're just looking for something that normalizes quick that you can be able to identify while you're scooping up guys, um, you know, off the wire or looking to, you know, um, add some possible closers, speculative closers. And I guess he's talking about on a, on a pitch specific level um, in terms of maybe um, swing and miss on a certain pitch or, um, you know, for me, I think I've mentioned a couple of times, I'm really looking at whiffs per swing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really looking at the, um, like the ability to um, keep the, obviously keep, keep the ball in the park, but um, on the per pitch level i like the whiffs per swing i like the csw even though it relates to the levers a little bit differently than than starting pitches it's a little um it's a little different the way you have to apply it but um yeah i, I think i'm going whiffs per swing as something that i've been trying to be a little more cognizant of on a per pitch level lucas i'm interested to hear your take on that one I feel as if I'm in the same boat as you, Mike. I felt like I uh, 
needed a bit of an advanced degree to, to give a proper answer, but it's not, it's not uh, pitch specific, but kind of a simple, you know, old school method is like in my holds leagues, whenever I look for targets, I, uh, I simply just do the last 30 days and I, I sort by the walk to, or the, the strikeout to walk ratio. And in 2018, I did that. I found Brandon Workman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you can just find dudes like that, that if they started out in their first month and they gave up, you know, four long balls and their numbers look terrible. But if you do that 30 day kind of dive, it's going to show you, I feel like who's performing the best lately. Mm-hmm. And it can possibly show you, you know, who's having a good year, even though their numbers were screwed up in the first few weeks or months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like to look at the swing and strike percentage a lot. I, to me, I find that that's very telling for me when I'm looking at these guys, but I'll go back to what we talked about before we started recording tonight and to answer the, the, the second part of what Aaron points out there, you know, identifying the next guy up. And to me, again, I'm an older guy and I've not, I'm not raised in stat cast data. I've learned over the last year or so. I'm, I'm getting better at it, but I'm by no means an expert. But what I do is what I was telling you guys before. Honestly, I pour over box scores. And I have a running tab in my mind of guys that are getting elevated roles or are getting holds. And I'm watching for those shaky outings, you know, one or two in a, you know, two or three in a row where a guy maybe isn't as good, or maybe there's a hint of injury or you get a, a, a whiff of something that's wrong. If you're watching MLB network late at night on the West coast, like I do since I have no life really. And so what I, re- what I really do is I look at that and then I'm looking at other things too. Like I like to look at forcing velocity to me, that is a telling tale for me. I like to look at spin rate. Those are things that are really simple. A lot of people that are further advanced than I do, than I am, probably have better ways of looking at it. But I, for whatever reason, I can remember what guys are in those roles. And I, I don't need to do a lot of preparation to figure out who those next guys up are. If you look at the roster ahead of time in spring training, um, you know, and you look at those three or four guys that are in the bullpen, there's a couple guys you can X out right away, right? That you know are just going to be fill-in guys or long relievers that aren't going to give you any value. When you look at something like Texas, like we were just talking about, you know, you got a guy like Hernandez that's sitting there waiting, right? Like that you know inherently that if Leclerc shits the bed, that he's going to get the that opportunity. So you roster him and you hold on to him. And if he do, if it doesn't happen and Leclerc is the guy, fine. You haven't lost anything. Um, and so to me, it's not so much as looking at an advanced statistic as it is just knowing the league and knowing the player pool um, as, as much as you can backwards and forwards to see where those opportunities might come up. Amen. Amen to that. All right. You guys made it. You guys made it through the whole thing. We did it. How do you guys feel about that whole breakdown? I think I think this is some quality stuff right here. We gave them everything they need. I hope so. so. Yeah. Get into your drafts right now with this information. Absolutely. Um, I, I feel like there was a there was a depth of names that you're not going to find anywhere else. I felt like too like talking about it with you guys. I felt like I just did my bullpen research like mm-hmm. more extensively and digging in, and getting feedback too, and getting other you know great minds and and their views on it. So I. I love it. It was like a um, great, great information. 
I love it. Thank you guys for coming out. Really appreciate your time. I took up a lot of your time on this Friday night, but like Mike mentioned, what better thing to do on a Friday night, right? Bullshit with the boys about some fantasy. Exactly what I love about you guys. You're, you're like genuinely optimistic about life. You're always in good moods. We always have great dialogue on Twitter. It's, uh, I, you know, I'm drawn to that. I'm just, you know, it's just be happy with what you got. And, um, you know, I like to say, like, just don't be a bag of shit. It's it's it, it's not it's not that hard to not right. be a bag of shit in life. And um, you guys like exemplify that to the max because you're just really cool, awesome dudes to talk to all the time. And um, I really appreciate you guys making it out here. And we're definitely gonna do this again, hundred um, percent. And I just want to give you guys again the opportunity to let everyone know where they can find your work and um, anything you got going on this year that you may want to tell anyone about. You can find me. I'm I'm at uh, Roto Fanatic is where I do my closing remark stuff. I'm hoping to be able to do that again this year. Um, I, I'm I'm hoping that that's what I'll be doing. And then I also work for uh, the Nine Inning Know It All, which is a site out of the Pacific Northwest that focuses on all things baseball. And that's more narrative writing. Doesn't have really anything to do with fantasy uh, stuff. But I I work for both of those things and look forward to continuing to get opportunities to do some more podcasting and and hanging out with. Uh, all these great people in the industry that I've met in the last nine or 10 months. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, you can feel free to uh, check out my podcast, Lucas baseball pod uh, with my boy, Lou Landers. We post that on the sports crew radio. You can check it through Spotify or Apple. Um, that's where you can mm-hmm. find my audible uh, work. As far as anything written uh, that will be at fantasy DJs. Uh, that's Casey Bubba's site. I, I try to do at least maybe one article a month there. Um, and you can see links to all those sites or all those uh, bits at my Twitter at BeeryPlux33, as well as uh, pictures occasionally of my six-month-old pug a puppy. So, yeah. Awesome. Pugs for life, yo. <laughs> One of the first things I noticed about Lucas's uh, profile, I saw the pug. And I'm like, oh, that's ah. awesome. He's a pug guy. And he likes yeah. fantasy. I'm like, yes. And he likes basketball too on top of baseball. Yes. Yes. Check, check. All that good stuff. And I got to say, um, one time before we leave tonight, um, guys both have some solid hats on. I like both of the options. I, I, I'm going to give the slight edge to Lucas um, <laughs> because I uh, got a little nice, classic San Antonio Spurs, right? If I can see correctly. Yes. 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 Right. Um, okay. Quick, quick, quick little trivia. Well, not trivia, just a quick, quick burst of who, who was your favorite player on the Spurs team that won multiple championships? Hmm. I'll have to give you. Uh, I'll have to give you an obvious one as well as a more of a deep cut as well. Yeah, give it to me all. I love okay. it. So Manu Ginobili. If you love basketball, I don't understand how you can't love this guy's fearlessness. Whenever James Harden got flipped to the Rockets, it was like interesting to see a guy come off the bench and then become a superstar. I firmly believe Ginobili could have done the same thing too if he had his own team. I think he would have been, you know leading his team to 50 wins year in and year out. Um, and then as far as a deep cut, um, if you remembered whenever they played against LeBron James in, in the Miami Heat, 
Boris Diaw had an incredible run as a, a stretch four and a stretch five at times. Love and it. he would yeah. just kind of get the ball off the pick and roll and just spray it out to shooters with his IQ. So I love watching the Spurs during their heyday. Amen. I like that. It's uh, my obvious is uh, was good old Timmy D, you know, just, yeah. uh, you know, like the, the Derek Jeter type, the just exemplary guy who, who, who just came to work, um, was a professional, was a tremendous leader and a winner, you know, and it's just one of those generational guys. And he, he did it in, in non-conventional ways by staying in school um, you know, just truly elite um player right there. Just very mm-hmm. and I feel like he he doesn't get spoken about enough. He kind of you know, people kind of forget about good old Timmy Duncan, but um definitely uh definitely interesting Spurs team. I, I was more of like always uh rooting against them from the mm-hmm. Lakers side, like you know, being a, a a Kobe fan, but I, I love those matchups and I loved Manu. Tony Parker just had a great team. You know, Popovich was just a great coach too, still is. Um, so good old basketball. We're gonna have to do a whole full basketball uh, podcast. Yeah, hit up the uh, hit up the real ones podcast over on the Ringer. Okay. Um, they did a they Roger Bell does a podcast with one of their uh, one of their staffers, and they had uh, Tim Duncan on a few weeks ago, and it was oh, absolutely shit. insane because he was just so honest. He was basically saying that Hurricane Hugo kind of wrecked the pool at the Virgin Islands and then he became a basketball player after he couldn't swim anymore. So it's like, that's why he was one of the best power forwards ever. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Crazy. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Crazy coincidence. Right. All right, men. One twenty AM. We're going (laughs) to call it. We're going to call it a morning. Sounds good Um, guys. All right. Thanks for your time. Good guys. Great time. Absolute blast. Thanks again for having me on and dude, it was, it was awesome. Both of you guys. Absolutely, man. Thank you guys again. All right. right. Take care, folks. Don't be a bag of shit.